0: Our scripture for this morning is Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning and welcome. I am John Reisner, I serve as lead pastor here at MCA, and just thrilled that you are with us today. And as always, I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So let's start with a question. When you hear the word confession, what comes to mind? No, you don't have to answer, but when you hear the word confession, what comes to mind? Maybe it is this confessional booth in a Catholic church and there's a priest behind the curtain. Or maybe it is an image of a criminal who's being interrogated. Where were you on the night of? And finally breaks and says, fine, all right, I did it. I'm not sure what images come to your mind when you hear the word confession. But the Bible says that we are to confess our sins. But boy, is that hard to do. (laughs) I'm surprised I didn't get any amens on that one. Boy, is that hard to do when we confess our sins to the Lord and to one another. I think that we're sort of afraid of confession. We're, we're sort of afraid to admit that we've done wrong. And, and part of that is because we think we'll be condemned by others. When we admit to the things that we've done wrong, we're afraid that they will uh, judge us. But boy, the, the way it's supposed to work within the body of Christ is when, not if, when you make a mistake and mess up in sin... Not that you're judged, but that you're lovingly cared for, that that you are restored. In fact, uh, God restores those who humble themselves, the scriptures tell us. He, He restores those back to himself. And so what it means is we take responsibility when we make mistakes, and we seek forgiveness when we fail. So we do accept the consequences of our sin, and we turn from it, that word that we so often use, which is... Repentance turning from our sin, but here's a point that I want to embrace today And you'll hear me say this several times throughout the message that genuine confession leads to genuine change And so we're going to spend some time together this morning learning about confession, but before we do that, let's just set up the, the context of where we are We're in a sermon series called canceled and this is week three I'll just do a quick recap for us that in week number one. We learned about being clothed with compassion that the Lord calls us to care for and respond to one another with a deep sense of care and concern. In week two, we were challenged with the idea of courageous accountability. Now, I'll give us a sneak peek into next week because it's a four part series, so we'll conclude next week. We're going to talk about reflecting Christ. Like, we're going to learn about next week this, this amazing, extraordinary role that He has given us to be His ambassadors. To, to represent christ on earth and so that in all we do in all we say the way we think the way we act the way we treat one another Maybe specifically in times where we've failed In all of those ways We are called to reflect to christ but for today we are going to be talking about this idea of confession So you've seen it on the screens already this morning confession of sin this is that that plank in your own eye that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. This is that hey, what about the plank in your own eye? Stop being so concerned about the the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and concern yourself with what's happening in your own eye. What are the things in your life that need to be addressed? But as I've already said, it's really hard to say I'm sorry. Why do we struggle so much with saying I'm sorry? with saying, I messed up, I did wrong. And I don't know if you've seen the bad apologies in recent years, but I know I have. Whether from celebrities or politicians or public figures or business leaders, we've seen some really, really bad apologies in recent years. From the very smug, I'm sorry if you guys were offended, to... The, well, what I really meant was this, and so you don't need to be upset. Like, um, following the Deepwater Horizon spill, this was the big BP oil spill. um, Their CEO issued a so-called apology for how that crisis was handled. And he managed to make the apology about himself. He said as part of his apology, and I quote, I'd like my life back. Uh, Now, I'll remind us that during that particular crisis, 11 people died. And somehow, he thought it was appropriate to, as part of his apology, mention how it had affected him. It was a really, really bad apology. And I think part of the reason we get such bad apologies is because we don't truly understand the reason for confession. We have, a, we have a poor understanding of why it is that we need to confess. So, so uh, we sometimes think that the purpose or the reason or motivation for confession is just simply because of the guilt that we're carrying. You've reached that point where it's like, this is unbearable. I have to confess, right? The telltale heart. You're just overcome with your guilt and with your emotion. And your confession then simply becomes, I just need relief. I just need help. Or as in the case of some of these more public Uh, Confessions or apologies. I think it's it's more about sort of mitigating the consequences So so i'm confessing not because i'm truly sorry not because I want to make things right But because I want to limit the repercussions. I'm gonna i'm gonna apologize But it's going to be somehow a benefit to me. I'm going to garner people's sympathy When I say I want my life back Tell that to the 11 people and their families who truly lost their lives So somehow we twist, distort, pervert, and corrupt an apology into something that's going to help me. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to look better. And that's wrong. That's a wrong understanding of confession. So we are going to get into the scriptures today. If you have your Bible with you, please open it. We're going to be in Psalm 51. This is where Phil read for us just a few moments ago. But before we even read a single verse of Psalm 51... There's a heading. Now, I've got the NIV, but I'm assuming you also have a heading uh, in your Bible. And and the heading really helps set the context for this psalm. So turn with me in, in your Bible to Psalm 51. And the heading says, for the director of music, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan had come to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So before we read any of the psalm itself this helps us and gives us some clues into the context of what is happening It's a psalm of king david. All right. It was written at a time that he needed to confess sin So I will just sort of uh, recap that whole story for you You have probably heard it in sunday school and sermons on it um, but i'll recap for you that david king david had a midlife crisis we read about this in second samuel chapter 11 uh, his uh, Men go off to war and david doesn't go with them he stays in the comforts of Jerusalem in his palace. He, he did not lead his house. He did not lead his nation in the way he should have. He just kind of hung back. It was a midlife crisis where nothing was really enthralling to him. So at a time when kings go off to war, David didn't really do what he was supposed to. And so, as we know, he sinned with Bathsheba. He then had her husband Uriah killed. And see then david thought he had gotten away with both adultery and murder But the lord knew what david had done the lord knew and so what god did is He called on a man. His name was nathan We heard that name just a moment ago in the heading of psalm 51. He's a prophet So the lord taps nathan on the shoulder and tasks him with going to king david to hold him accountable Because he wants him to confess his sin. He wants him to repent. Now, imagine being Nathan. What's that, oh God? Hmm? Oh, an assignment for me? Okay, yes. Here here am I, Lord. Uh, Where shall I go? Oh, I see. Go to the most powerful man in all the land and tell him he's a sinner. Got it. Uh, Good thing I already planned my funeral. Like this is not a really fun assignment that nathan gets but but this guy's amazing because he he immediately starts Brainstorming and thinking about if only I could get king david to see what he's done if only I could I could go to this brother and in truth and love call out his sin And so what Nathan does is he schedules a story time with King David. Now, King David must have liked a good story. He says, hey, I got a story I want to tell you. Let me tell you the story about two men. One was very rich and very wealthy. He had a lot at his disposal. The other was very poor. And Nathan's probably thinking, hmm, now if I bring some sheep into this, I'm really going to pique his interest because, you know, David was a shepherd. And so he goes, uh, now the rich man, I mean, he had... Thousands of sheep and cattle. He had just just expansive flocks. But the poor guy, he had only one little ewe lamb. Oh, he just doted on this little lamb. He fed it at the dinner table. It slept with him in his bed. He drank from his cup. Like he treated this as if it were his own daughter. Oh, cutesy little lammy. carried it around, loved it. It was like a member of his family. So David is on the edge of his seat. He's listening to the story that Nathan is telling. He says, and one night there was a hungry hungry and weary traveler, and he comes to the house of the rich man. But the rich man would not serve this guest. And again, in their culture, hospitality would have been uh, uh, one of the highest virtues. He, He will not serve this guest, one of his sheep, one of his cattle. Instead, he slaughters the poor man's little sheep. Yeah, just fires up the grill, goes, anybody for lamb chops? So David is angry when he hears this story. Imagine the injustice. He had all those flocks and he slaughtered the poor man's little ewe lamb. He starts getting all worked up. I can just imagine David's face is turning beet red and he is just so angry, raising his voice. What are you kidding me? And then David says, so this is in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 5. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. I told you, he likes a good story. He's really into it. So Nathan, he, he sort of lets David fume just a little bit. And then Nathan, he just turns to him. He looks him right in the eye and probably with finger pointed declares you are that man. This is the boom moment Like he has drawn david into the story. He's shared this parable David is just uh, Incensed with anger and says that this rich man should be killed and nathan drops the boom on him You are that man. Well, david is just completely undone He's just wrecked before the lord because he knows he is convicted he knows that what he has done is wrong. He he now has a brother who loves him, who has come to him to confront him with this. And when David is able to sort of uh, speak once he he uh, kind of composes himself, the first words from his lips are, "I have sinned." This is the first words off of the lips of King David, confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent cover-up, and he says. I have sinned before the Lord. Now, this is all context for Psalm 51. I hope you have your Bible with you and you've turned there. Because here's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together. We're going to walk through Psalm 51 together, most of it. And what we see here are three specific steps of confession, genuine confession. Three steps of confession. Let me just share them here up front and then we'll walk through it together. But the first is conviction. That's when you realize that you've sinned. Conviction, you realize you've sinned. The second is contrition. That's when you're sorry you've sinned. Contrition, you're sorry you've sinned. And then the third step is confession proper. Confession where you admit that you've sinned. You confess that you've sinned. So let's begin with the first step here, which is conviction. Now, unfortunately, sometimes this only happens when you're confronted, when you're caught. But again, I I would use that to then pivot and say, Isn't that why accountability is so critical and so important and so helpful? Isn't that why God uses us in the lives of one another? That we sometimes need to be caught. We sometimes need to be confronted. We need help to see when we've sinned so that we can confess it and be made right. Sometimes we need help. I heard the story of a little girl who was asked the question, What is your conscience? And she thought for a moment and she answered, I think it's my grandma. (laughs) But but conviction, it's when we realize that we've sinned. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting that King David, like, didn't know what he was doing was wrong. I'm not saying that. Certainly, he knew that his actions were wrong and sinful. He knew better. But he was so driven. Again, this is a midlife crisis. And and maybe this is a warning to some of you who are near that uh, in your own life. He, He was in a midlife crisis. Where he had been on the mountaintop, where he'd been hailed as hero, where he he was the successful leader of his nation, and yet nothing really seemed to enthrall him anymore, and yet he was then drawn, and he, he was so driven by his lust. He was then so sort of uh, captivated by the, the, the subsequent f- uh, cover-up. I got to make sure this goes away. I got to have Uriah killed. I got to pretend none of this ever happened. I got to tell him he needs to come home and sleep with his wife to cover it all up. Like, he's so driven by all of that that he ignored any conviction he may have had. So I'm not suggesting he didn't know that it was wrong. Yes, he knew it was wrong. But in the moment, he was so driven by those sinful actions and attitudes that he wasn't convicted until Nathan came to him. It took Nathan the prophet speaking this little parable to him about the little ewe lamb that was slaughtered for the barbecue at the hands of the rich man. So let's begin in verse 1. We do do need to get into the text for this morning. So uh, we're in Psalm 51. Uh, Let's begin in verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me The first step of true genuine confession is conviction. It's when you face your sin squarely You acknowledge it even if it makes you miserable like, like, when you're under conviction, some of you have been there. Some of you probably even have very vivid memories of walking through a season like this, where you can't eat, you can't sleep, you are miserable. This is what David is getting at when he says, my sin is always before me. Like, I cannot escape it. I am under conviction. I realize in a, in a terrible way, in a way that's heavy on my soul, I realize that I have sinned. That's conviction. The the next step is contrition. That's when you're sorry that you've sinned. Like, our sins should make us sorrowful. And and listen, I would say, while there are many things that we've gotten wrong with confession in the church, uh, this is probably the one we've missed the most. Probably step number two, contrition, is the one we've missed the most. And what I mean by that is how glibly we react to sin. Well, God's going to forgive me. So i'll do it anyway Hmm Or I don't have any regrets about any of the decisions i've made about any of the words i've said about any of the actions I've taken I don't have any regrets because well all i've done It's just helped to shape me into the person that I am today That does not reflect the heart of god that does not reflect the character of god god is holy holy God calls us to be holy as he is holy. And so when we fall upon his great mercy, as David prays, we do so knowing it's because of the great sacrifice he has made. And of course, we even read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. So we have the gospel, the good news of the one and only son of God, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood. Like, like it's the shed blood of Jesus that covers our transgressions. The, The scriptures say he covers us with his righteousness, And the scriptures tell us that God is jealous for you. That he has moved heaven and earth to be in relationship with you. And when you sin, you break his heart. You spit in his face. You scorn his great love and affection. You make a mockery of Christ crucified. And so if the church has missed anything in confession, it's this point of contrition. That we too glibly respond to sin. Yay, God forgives me. Yes, there's a place for rejoicing. That There is a time and a place for great celebration and joy because of the freedom that God has given us. But following sin, we must recognize that we have failed, that we have hurt God, that we have messed up. And to do so in a matter that's, that's glib, it does not reflect the heart of God. And so here's what David says. We're in Psalm 51. Jump down with me to verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. He says, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. We are broken hearted in response to our sin. And here's a biblical truth. God is indeed near the broken hearted. He draws near to us when we are in that place of contrition. And so as I've said, we're, we're not giddy about it. It's not, I messed up, God will forgive me. It is, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's contrition. It's a broken heart for our disobedience to a good, loving, heavenly father. Final step of confession is confession proper. So we've talked about conviction and contrition. Uh, Confession is, this is admitting that we have sinned, to speak it, to name it to own up to your sin. No blaming, no excuses, no semi-apologies. There was an article written uh, not too long ago, and the writer of the article said that the church needs a master class in how to apologize. In the article, she compared two very public apologies. One was from a church leader, a pastor, and the other was from a secular uh, television writer uh, of a sitcom. And, And The writer of the article concluded that it was the secular TV writer who took more responsibility and modeled better what it means to truly seek forgiveness than the pastor, the church leader. So we see David's confession in verse 4. We're in Psalm 51. He says, against you, you only, have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. By the way, we shouldn't interpret this to mean that David did no wrong against Bathsheba, Uriah, his own wife, or anyone else in this situation. Uh, Here's the point. When we sin, we primarily violate God's law. God's heart. That's what's being emphasized here. that, That our first and primary concern is indeed to be in right standing with God. That our sin has separated us from a holy and loving God. I think in our current climate, sometimes we're more concerned with what others will think than with actually being restored to God. Sometimes we're more concerned with how's this going to come across? Will these people forgive me? Will they accept me? What's my life going to look like moving forward? We're more concerned with that than we are. Have mercy on me, oh God. Forgive me. So we've learned three steps of confession this morning conviction, contrition, and confession. What happens next? You know, uh, uh, in in so many ways, that's all just sort of theoretical and philosophical, and I I don't want to leave here today without more concrete steps toward how do we live this out? How's this lived out in the life of a person who follows Jesus? As I've said, genuine confession leads to genuine change. So before we conclude, I want to share three more very specific ways that this genuine confession is then sort of played out in the life of a believer. The results of genuine confession, you might say. And the first is renewal. Renewal, meaning that sort of spiritual renewal. When you acknowledge and confess your sin before God, when you plead with him for mercy, he is faithful to forgive. (laughs) Thank God that He is faithful, He is able, He cleanses you. We see that reference in verse 7 of Psalm fifty one. He David says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. God does a work of renewal in your life when you genuinely confess your sin before Him, when you seek Him, when you seek restoration with Him. And so verse ten, which is probably the most famous verse in Psalm fifty one. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When we sin and have messed up, we are dead in our sin. We are separated from God. And yet, the renewal that God does when we confess our sin, it's like he gives us a brand new heart, a brand new spirit. We are born again. We are made new. In fact, if you want to do that today, our prayer team is going to be up here after the service, and we invite you to come. Come and ask for cleansing. Come and ask to be made new, to get right before God, to confess sin. We would be honored to go with you before God's throne of grace today. So how is genuine confession lived out then in the life of the believer? The first and most important is renewal. But you are made right with God. The second is repentance. Okay, simply put, you stop doing it. Uh, You don't you don't see this cycle in your life of whoops did it again. Whoops did it again Again, that's part of the the glib response that I think the church is guilty of having towards sin no, no repentance is Jesus saying to the woman go and sin no more In other words, you've been caught you've been convicted. Hopefully you're contrite and you've confessed it now Stop doing it turn from your sin walk the path of righteousness When you turn from your sin again repentance is turning when you turn from your sin You leave it behind you walk away from it and by the grace of god You walk in victory and you continue walking in victory to return to your folly would be like let's say A dog returning to its vomit We repent True genuine repentance and we stop doing it and then a third uh, result of confession is reconciliation I just don't feel like we can talk about and discuss this topic today of confession without talking about the ramifications between you and I. Because so often when we sin, we do indeed hurt others. We do indeed cause offense and need reconciliation. So this is where you make it right with the people that you've wronged. And for some of you, it's like, oh boy, like this is the real challenge. Because, you know, it's one thing to have this private confession with God where you're like, Lord, I'm really sorry. Lord, please forgive me. But it is something entirely different when you're asking me to go to someone else and say, I have wronged you. I am deeply sorry. I am seeking your forgiveness. I'm asking for you to forgive me. But that's just what the scriptures tell us to do all the way back. When the Lord was setting up his people, the nation of Israel, and how they should function and thrive. So if we go to Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, this is what the Lord told Moses to tell the people. Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. So when you do something really, 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 really heinous, just really bad, one of the seven deadly sins, then you've got to go to the other person. And... Oh, no. Numbers five and verse six, when you wrong another in any way, not just the worst of sins, when you wrong someone in any way, you confess it. You go to the person in humility apologizing, contrite, and asking for their forgiveness. And then one quick counterpart to that is offer forgiveness to one another. (laughs) Offer grace. Just as God has been gracious with you, extend that same grace to those who have done wrong against you. And listen, I think part of the reason the Lord asks us to do this very difficult and very humbling thing is that because when we have indeed sinned and fallen short, we've sinned against God, we've sinned against our brother or sister, is that God then takes our story. Not that we wish it had happened. Not that we're going to continue to do it again so we can keep telling the story. But God uses our story and our brokenness so that others are drawn into his kingdom. So that others are encouraged along their path. So in Psalm 51, let's key on in verse 13. Look what David says here in his contrition, in his confession of sin. In verse 13, he has this beautiful glimpse of then I will teach transgressors your ways. So that sinners will turn back to you. Now, that's the heart of God. That we would turn to him seeking his great mercy. And what a joy to know that God might use you and me in our brokenness, though, those places where we just messed up and we wish we hadn't. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I take that path? Why did I make that choice? Why did I fall prey to that temptation? But what a joy to know that, that God then takes that, our, our crumbled, broken pieces, our frailty, and he uses it to build his kingdom, to point another weary traveler On that road to redemption, to walk in freedom, knowing we don't have to live up to perfection. Just live in grateful response to a God who forgives us and restores us even when we mess up. A God who has forgiven us and redeemed us. Yes, even sinners like us. So let me implore you this morning to come into the light. We're talking about confession of sin. Let me implore you this morning to allow God to shine his light on the things that you have worked so hard to conceal. But to experience the freedom that he offers. Being renewed in your walk with Christ and then being reconciled to those that you've wronged. I will tell you the consequences of concealment are far greater than the challenges of confession. In Christ, there is freedom. In Christ, there is hope. Only in Christ. And so we choose to walk in obedience to the scriptures. Look at James 5 and verse 16. Confess your sins one to another. Thank you, God, that you are so good and gracious. And let's be the same way in our response to one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we stand in need of you today. In a spirit of humility, recognizing that we have sinned, that first and foremost, of primary concern, is that we have violated your law. Lord, we confess today that sometimes we've responded glibly to our sin. So, Lord, would you break our heart today? Would you walk us through that difficult valley of contrition? Oh, God, have mercy. Oh, God, we need your grace. Oh, God, we plead with you. Humbled before you that we are undeserving, that we are unworthy, that we are marred, that we are stained, that we are sick with sin. But you, O Lord, can heal. You, O Lord, can wash whiter than snow. So have your way today, O Lord, to bring conviction, to humble us, to lead us to that place of confession that we might be made whole in your sight and then used for your purposes and for your glory. We thank you. We trust you. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.